All right, so if you brought your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. What we're going to do is we're going to look at verses 10 through 16. So I'm going to read the entire passage now, but then what we'll do is we're going to walk through kind of verse by verse, and we're going to make five different observations from this passage. So starting in verse 10, Paul writing to the Corinthian church, he says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built upon the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. All right, so you can hold your place right there, but to give you a little bit of context, to understand that the Apostle Paul planted this church in Corinth. Okay, and then after about a a year and a half, I mean, through this year and a half that he was there, amazing things happened. He, he, He boldly proclaimed the gospel. People came to Christ. Life transformation was happening. And so after this year and a half, he decides to leave and to go to Ephesus to plant a church there. And while he's in Ephesus, all of a sudden he gets word, he gets a letter that the church is in all sorts of uh, turmoil. There's all sorts of trouble that's happening. They've got theological problems. There's immorality problems that are happening within the church. And then there's relational problems that are happening within the church. Specifically, there were cliques that were kind of popping up within the church and these cliques were kind of grouping together and what they were fighting over is uh, which leader they would follow. And some were saying, oh, well, I follow Paul even though he's not here anymore. And I, I, I follow, um, you know, uh, this pastor and I follow that pastor. It would be like here where I was like, I, I like Pastor Aaron. Yeah, I mean, he, he's the guy, I'm gonna listen. I, I follow Pastor Jacob, he's my favorite. I mean, that would never happen here. I know, I'm just sharing it as an example. Okay. Part of it's actually refreshing because I'm like, okay, if they had relational problems in the church, in the ones that the Apostle Paul planted, then, you know, the church that I'm involved in and work with, I'm like, okay, it's just, it's normal. It happens. But what he writes in this letter, and this is the context of this letter, he said, you guys need to stop it. If you want to be serious about building the kingdom, if you want to be serious about building the church, then learn from me, the skilled master builder. That's really what he's laying out and what he's saying to them in this section of scripture that we have. Now, as I share this, understand when I'm talking about building and building the kingdom, this can be applied in a couple different ways. So just even as you're thinking about it, think of, yes, building the big C church the kingdom of God, 
but it can also be applied to the local church here, like how you build up CIL. But you can even apply it even to go down even more to your own, maybe your own personal ministry that you have here at the church or in other places. You can go down even further how you build even your, your marriage, how you build your family. You can apply it in these multiple different ways. So let's do this. Let's start then in verse 10. This is what he says. According to the grace God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he built, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So here's your master builder observation number one, is the foundation is the most important, and the foundation is Christ. Okay, so if you're taking notes, the foundation is most important, and the foundation is Christ. I don't know how many of you have gone house hunting before. I'm assuming quite a bit of you. If you've ever gone house hunting before, you've probably gotten advice from your realtor, Uh, from friends and family, inspectors, whatever. They'll say, hey, I know you're looking at lots of different things, but what? Make sure the foundation is solid. Make sure the foundation is good. Uh, When Emily and I first got married, we moved to Milwaukee, and, you know, the church was getting going, and we thought, you know, we need to buy a house, put down roots, and so we went through this process of house hunting. We got that advice from people, And there was this one house in particular that we went in and we just loved it. I mean, it had this oak staircase and crown molding and just all of these different things. Like, this house is awesome. Then we made our way into the basement, which uh, in the Midwest, in Wisconsin, every single house has a basement. So it's very weird to come here and most of the houses don't have a basement. But anyways, we made our way down to the basement and... um, the wall was kind of just bowing in a little bit, about an inch and a half. You kind of had to go and kind of like look at it from the side to be able to see. And uh, of course, we got advice, uh, don't, you know, don't buy the house because of that issue. But like any wise 20-somethings would do, we bought the house. It's an inch and a half, no big deal. And we were there and each year with the house settling and the water and everything kind of pushing it, it just continued to kind of go over and over. And uh, then when it was it came time to sell the house. We had to invest a bunch of money to fix the wall for someone else because there weren't some naive 20-somethings that were buying it from us. All that to say is that the foundation is important. And this is what the Apostle Paul is really saying two different things here. Uh, number one, he's saying, I already laid the foundation, so there's no changing that at all. And number two, the substance of the foundation that he laid is Jesus. He makes it very clear. He's not even saying that it's about himself, even though he's saying he laid the foundation. He's saying the foundation itself is Jesus. Now, you might say, oh, wow, that is a really great concept or metaphor. Well, Paul didn't come up with it. He ripped it off from someone. You know who first said that? Jesus. And if you're going to rip something off from someone with theology's uh, concern, Jesus is the person to do it. Jesus said that about himself. Matthew chapter 7, this is what Jesus says. Everyone who hears the words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, but it didn't fall. Why? Because it was founded on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them is like the foolish person who built his house on the sand. When the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat against that house. It fell with a great fall. Jesus says, build, uh, I am the foundation, build upon the rock. Some of you may go, oh, wait a minute, this sounds really familiar. That's what we were singing about this morning, right? Those were the exact words. That's where that, the chorus and stuff came from as Jesus was talking about himself as the rock, as the firm foundation. So much so that throughout scripture, Jesus is referred to not only as the foundation, but as the cornerstone. The most important part of the entire foundation that holds everything together. And when we say that Jesus is the foundation, we're saying the very gospel message. That Jesus came as God, lived a perfect life, died a brutal death for the forgiveness of sins. That if we play, that is the foundation. And the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, just so you know, when I came, I shared that with you. Right? You can read that in Acts. That he boldly proclaims the gospel. You can read it in Corinthians here. He boldly proclaims the gospel. People come to faith and then he decides to leave. So let's continue on to verse 12. And he says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. So our master builder observation, number two, is to choose your materials wisely. Okay, choose your materials wisely. He says, all right, the foundation is laid, but now he starts to talk about once you build upon that and the materials that you're going to use. One of the things that owning houses, doing renovation projects, uh, is that I learned from contractors, because there would be certain projects I couldn't do it myself, wasn't enough stuff on YouTube, bring a contractor over, see if they could either help me with it or, you know, I could learn some information or just literally hire them to do the job. And over the years, there were contractors that would say some of the same things to me, and I thought that it was very insightful. They'd look at the project, and they'd say, all right, Danny, we can do this project, uh, and you have some options here. Uh, You can go inexpensive, fast, or high-quality but you only get to pick two. Think of that for a moment. If you go inexpensive and fast, it's not going to be high quality. If you go high quality and fast, it's not going to be inexpensive. Now, I know that this is just contractor language and a, and a kind of a contractor thing, but I think that we see some of the same things in Scripture. What the Apostle Paul is trying to say here is choose your materials wisely, and then he gives this list of the different materials. Now, I know that some of you are kind of like theology nerds. We talked about the class and stuff that's coming up. So as I was studying this passage, I want to share something kind of theologically. If you don't consider yourself a theology nerd, um, I'm literally giving you permission to check out right now. Okay, so you can, you can go on your app, finish your grocery list, get some things on Amazon. Whatever you need to do, I'll let you know when you need to come back. Because this is kind of maybe, this is like bonus material. It's extra. Okay, as I was thinking through the metaphor that the Apostle Paul had with foundation and then building like first and second floor. It's just that. That the foundation is justification. It's justification by faith. It's the gospel. It is evangelism. It happens in a moment and it is permanent. It cannot be removed. We're going to talk about that later in the passage. But then, 
So if that's justification, then floors, number one, two, three, and however, up, however high up it goes, is sanctification. Okay, because that is the lifelong process. That is something that can be built upon. It's something also that looks different. Where justification by faith, the gospel message, that stays the same. Sanctification, how a discipleship process happens. Sanctification from one person's life to another has the opportunity to actually look different. So just keep that in the back of your mind as we continue to go through this passage. Okay, everyone, you can come back now. And now, even what I would argue is this section is really the meat and potatoes of his entire argument here with how to become a master builder. And that is this. He says, choose your materials wisely. He gives six, but it's really just two different categories. There's precious things, gold, silver, and precious stones. He's saying these are high-quality materials. Or you can use wood, hay, and straw. It's up to you. Okay, um, This is what I'd like to do. Is I would like to offer you what I would say are some examples of building God's kingdom with the precious materials, the gold and the silver and the beautiful stones, and then also offer some examples. These aren't, like you can't, they're, they're not in the passage here, so understand that I'm not saying that they are exactly these things. I'm giving you what I would say are some examples of that. You can maybe even come up with some of your own. But if I had to Uh, even give you examples, even from my own personal experience and experience with working with churches and other pastors, gold, silver, and precious stones, that if you uh, build with grace, truth, and patience. Grace, truth, and patience. Here's what I mean by this. Uh, And it's funny to me that grace is probably one of the most important ones because when we become followers of Christ, uh, for, for many of us, you know, we have this radical transformation and we just, we come to this moment where we realize we need the grace of God through Jesus. And it's just like, it's dumped on us, right? You, you get to this point and you just surrender because of the great lavish love and grace of God. And then we walk in that for a certain amount of time and, and we're extending grace to people, but I don't know, maybe a year and a half, two years goes by. And what do we do? We become judgmental people, Right? I mean, okay, maybe just me then, Um, but that's what seems to happen, where grace has been extended to us from God, and then we fail to extend that grace to others as we're trying to build the church and to build the kingdom of God. So I think that building with gold and silver is building with grace. Building with truth, which I would say is kind of the counterpart, ultimately God's truth captured here in his word. And this is why it's so difficult, I think, to build with such precious material is that we oftentimes are, uh, you know, have the pressure of being politically correct or being nice and not offending uh, to to people. Uh, There's times where God's word in our culture and in our society, it's hard to build with truth because of those different pressures. But if we're able to put grace and truth together, I'll tell you what, we can definitely become master builders. And then the final one here is patience. And certainly, as you think of the church or think of ministry or your marriage or your family, um, it takes time to build anything of quality. 
We love fast. We love speed. And certainly there are times in Scripture even, even when the early church started and the church grew, you know, by thousands per day. So there's times where there's explosive growth. But for the most time, we impose that growth. And sometimes we just rush and we go for the the quick and the expedient. Remember what I said about the contractors. Hey, you get to choose these different things, but you don't get to choose all of them. And so to plant... Uh, uh, to build with truth and grace and patience. But now I want to offer up to you what I would say is wood, hay, and straw. And I wish I could say that these have never been a part of my life. I wish I could say that these have never been a part of my ministry or ministry past. Uh, But with wood, hay, and straw, I'll offer you three. Gimmicks, guilt, and selfish ambition. So we talk about building God's kingdom, building his church. Uh, There's a temptation to use gimmicks. That's not to be confused with strategy and creativity. I'm all about that. You can definitely do different things. Maybe there are different outreaches or doing things with, you know, the the youth and, you know, doing slime or whatever. Crazy, you know, bounce houses out front. Um, that's, That's creativity. But there becomes this time where you can almost, that's all you're doing is gimmicks because you're just trying to gather a bunch of people for the sake of gathering people. And so being careful to use gimmicks. The second one that I think is used to build the church or to build the kingdom is guilt. Do do you know why pastors or ministry people use guilt? Because it works. It it works short term. It doesn't doesn't work long term. But if you really want to get someone to do something, anything, use guilt. Pastors can use it. Let's, let's say you're a 242 group leader and, you know, you just, hey, you know, if you really love Jesus, you just put the hand on the shoulder with a nice squeeze there. You're going to join my 242 group, right? And you know what? That person might go, oh, okay, yeah, I, I guess, right? And they'll come, they'll come week number one and maybe even week number two and three. And then after a while, as you're guilting people into anything, Eventually, the weight becomes too heavy, and it just doesn't work anymore. So avoid, obviously, at all costs, using guilt. And then the final one here is selfish ambition. And to, to build, not for the ambition of uh, you, you know, uh, reaching people for Christ, but all of a sudden the ambition becomes yourself. And I, I told you that even in my own ministry time, it just creeps in so slowly, and all of a sudden you're growing, and you're feeling pretty good about how things are going, and you start making decisions that are based on selfish ambition. And I'm thankful that I had men in my life and people in my life that were able to you know, speak into my life and say, Danny, what are you doing? Like, I think that you're making that decision not based uh, out of Christ-like decisions, but really out of your own ego and, and your own selfish ambition. And we know what scripture says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but to consider others better than yourselves. And so even as an application point, and as I said before, if you remember nothing else out of this entire sermon, as you think about whatever it is you're building, whether it's this church or mission stuff, ministries that you're involved in, your marriage and family, choose your materials wisely the gold silver precious stones the grace the truth and the patience and avoid 
the subpar materials of wood, hay, and straw, which is that, you know, the, the, using guilt and using gimmicks and using selfish ambition. I love Jesus says this again. So the Apostle Paul uh, uh, is really just quoting Jesus' I, uh, idea here. Jesus says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule, saying, this person began to build and was not able to finish it. All right, let's move right along here. Verse 13, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So master builder observation number three is your building will be tested. Okay, so I have a lot to cover in the next couple minutes, so some of these I'm going to go as quickly as possible. Here's what I want to say about this, is that as you're building in the here and now, um, you're going to have what I would say are mini tests along the way. Because how many of you in your Bible, D-Day is, is capitalized? You have that in, in your... That, that's because this is referring to uh, the final judgment, the return of Christ and the final judgment. And here it's saying, hey, your work is going to get tested. And that could seem like a negative thing, but here's just what I want to say. From positive perspective, understand that Jesus tests it because he cares. It also helps us to understand that when we face trials and difficulty and testing in the here and now, it's actually coming from a place of God's love. Okay, because he wants us to ace the final exam. So if you ever had like the pop quizzes in high school, it's like, hey, this, isn't, this, this doesn't count towards your final grade, but this just kind of helps you to see where you're at. So when you're facing testing, I have so many people, they would come into my office and they're like, God's punishing me. He's mad at me. He's, he hates me. Where instead of seeing it as a thing of love, James 1, 2 through 4 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So understand, as you're building, you're going to hit some difficulties, you're going to be tested. It, it's, you know, maybe not God punishing you and, you know, disliking you, but instead just helping to redirect you. All right, verse 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Observation number four is rewards are promised. Okay, uh, very quickly here. Uh, uh, theologically, something important happens. What does it say that you're tested by fire? If it's bad, it's burnt up. But notice what it says here, that it, you do not lose your salvation. So remember before when I was talking about justification by faith being the foundation? If you say yes to Jesus Christ and you surrender your life to Christ, you made an authentic faith commitment, you're saved so it's not like, hey, if you build something good for God, you're going to get into heaven. It's not saying that at all. 
But there is the positive that if you build stuff for God, that there is a reward. And here's the great thing is that I don't have time to even finish my point that I have here, but you had an entire sermon series on rewards from Pastor Aaron and Pastor Jacob just how many weeks ago, maybe like a couple months ago. They did a great job, except for one thing that they forgot to mention. Um, If you are a good Christian and you get to heaven, uh, you have a lifetime, eternal lifetime supply of Chipotle. It's in the Bible. Trust me on it. Find it in there. They forgot it. That's okay. Um, It might be in the theology class, but okay, so go back and look in that. All of that to say that this is such an important thing to know that our our, uh, uh, relationship with God is not based on what we do and how we build, okay? Our, Our eternal life is secured not by what we do, but what Jesus did for us on the cross. So everything after that, that we're building is, is really we're building for the kingdom and that we are rewarded for that. Which brings us now to our, uh, to our last one. So verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So our last observation here is that you are the builder and you're the building. Isn't that just phenomenal? So all of this time as we're thinking, okay, this is what it looks like to build God's kingdom. And here's how we're supposed to do it and to do it with grace and, and, and truth and patience and all of these different things that we're doing at the same time that we are building this We are actually a part of God's building. Ephesians 2.22 says, You're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Get this. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure is being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, and in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. How awesome to know that your invitation to, be a, to become a master builder, it's also that you're participating and that God is working in you and through you as you are a master builder. And that God is doing the same things in your life and in your relationships, and your marriage, and your family, at your work, in your ministries, in your church, and big C, what God is doing in the entire kingdom. So this is what I'd like, like to do is, um, in a moment here, we're going to enter into a time of communion. And uh, here, here at CIL, we practice open communion and what that means is that everyone is welcome to this table. So it doesn't matter. You don't need to be a member of this church. Uh, you don't, uh, it doesn't matter your age or race or any, anything like that. Everyone is welcome here. The one requirement is that you have said yes to Jesus. That you recognize that you are a sinner and that you are separated uh, from God because of your own sin. And uh, that God loved you so much Uh, that you said yes, that you placed your faith in Jesus. And if you've done that, to please come forward. Even to the point that I would say, if you haven't done that, 
this is a perfect opportunity for you to even sit and to reflect. Maybe even you're a first-time guest and you, you don't understand the whole Jesus thing. That's okay. You can sit in your seat. But maybe even this morning, you haven't said yes to Jesus. But today is actually the day that you're going to do that. And I want to invite you to make the most important decision of your life. It doesn't mean that you have to have this whole thing figured out, that you understand some of the words that I said or all the different scripture. You might still have lots of different questions. But if you've come to a place where you say, you know what, that grace that you're talking about, I haven't experienced that before. Today is the day that I'm going to say yes and turn my life over to Jesus. Then in a moment when I pray, I want to give you the opportunity. You can pray along with me. And then by all means, come forward even as a representation of saying yes to Jesus and surrendering your life to him. So let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we just praise you and thank you so much that we have the opportunity to be called your children to be a family and that you've invited us not to just sit on the sidelines, but to become a builder of your kingdom. I first of all just want to thank you and pray a blessing over CIL Church, the people that you've gathered here, the builders that you've gathered here. Lord, would you continue to bless them? That each person would understand they are a master builder, whether they're involved in a ministry Again, their marriages, family, other ministries around Hendersonville and even the county and and state and region. Lord, would you bless them, help them to build with the precious materials. And Lord, as some may even be in a time of testing right now, would you strengthen them? Would you give them perseverance? Lord, I want to pray right now, if there's anyone in this room that has never said yes to you, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, even right now, that you would speak to their hearts, that you would beckon them to you, that they would understand the weight and the gravity of their sin, but that they would also just feel your immense, lavish love and grace poured out on them, and that their own words, that they would cry out to you and say, yes, God, I am a sinner but I believe that Jesus came and that he died on the cross in my place for the forgiveness of sins. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Make me new. I surrender my life to you. And God, that your Holy Spirit would indwell them and seal them until the day of redemption. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.